Today's program was brought to you by EscapeMaker.com. Visit a farm. Escape through the net. Visit EscapeMaker.com for more. Hi, this is Joe Campanelli, the host of In the Drink. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Sharp and hot with Jeff Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sharp and Hot. My name is Emily Peterson. I am broadcasting to you live from Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This is episode 100. Hooray! (laughs) Awesome. So I'm super excited to have made it 100 episodes and as I was approaching the show that was there was part of me that was like hey we should do something super fun and special and like we'll get President Obama to call in and talk about what great work I've been doing like they do did for David Letterman when he is show ended and then I'm like holy crap it's 1.30 on Tuesday and I have to do my show and I'm literally just me and all of that time putting together 100 episodes I did not come up with anything super special for episode 100 other than that it's going to be a great show with my guests who are going to join me momentarily from Garden and Gun magazine and I have some listener emails and voicemails that we're going to talk about about all about fear and the anxiety that intimidates us in the kitchen but as far as a big celebration It's just me. And I'll tell you, I was listening to This American Life and Fresh Air, which are other podcasts that I really enjoy that are on public radio. And at the end of each episode, they thank all of the people who work on the show. And I counted the other day, and This American Life had 16 people, and Fresh Air has 13 people who work on the show. I'm like, man, that's why they're always so awesome and well put together. And, you know, I'm just me. So, um... How about instead of me doing something something super special, you guys go to heritageradionetwork.org. If you're listening live right now, you can click on the little heart in the center and we can chat during the show. And that'll it'll open up a thing called Mixler, which is the platform that we broadcast the show on. And then if you haven't already, become a member. Click the little beating heart in the upper right-hand corner. Give a little something in honor of Sharp and Hot's 100th, 100th episode. And then you'll have done something special, which is great because I shouldn't throw my own birthday party anyway, right? That would be weird. Okay, so for episode number 100, let's talk about fear and anxiety. When I am out in the wild and I talk to people and they hear what I do for a living, I hear so much fear. People are like, oh, I'm so scared that this is going to happen or oh, if this, what if this happens? And I want to bring those fears and anxieties into the light. You know, like when you name the thing you're scared of, it kind of takes some of its power away and you're like, you know, it isn't that scary after all. And to help me do that, I'm going to bring on two of my friends from Garden and Gun Magazine, joining me via phone, managing editor Philip Rhodes and New Orleans chef Justin DeVillier are joining me. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks so much for having me, Emily. This is Philip. Hi. Hi, Justin. Are you there? Hey, Emily. It's Justin. Thanks. Did I say your last name properly? Yeah. All right. Cool. I saw the the French spelling, and you're from New Orleans. I was like, let me throw out my ninth grade understanding of French pronunciation and see if that works. Oh, yeah. Perfect. And tell me the name of the restaurant where you are in New Orleans, Chef. Um, I've got La Petite Grocery, which is uptown, and uh, downtown I've got another one called Belize. Awesome. My sister-in-law lives in New Orleans, and we're planning on coming down in March, so I will make sure that I get in touch before that happens. 
Great. Okay, so Philip, you guys have put together a new cookbook that we're going to talk about a little bit later on. Um, but you work in the publishing industry, which is super high stress. And Chef Justin, you work in a kitchen where you are managing food and you're managing people and you're managing time. And I was wondering if we could start, um, Chef, I'll start with you. If you could tell us one of a, a, either a great fear of a disaster that you're scared will happen or if you have a disaster that actually happened that you survived. Um, well, you know, it seems like there's many disasters every day, but, uh, but, uh, I think, you know, just kind of trying to manage that fear is the, the best way to go about it and kind of, uh, you know, pick the, pick the tasks and the, and the projects that are going to be, um, kind of well suited for, for the day and kind of organizing and you can kind of, you know, uh, Squash a lot of fears by organization and by by uh, participation in your staff and knowing what's going on. Um, you know that being said, there's, there are the uncontrollable factors like uh, you know the reception of the dishes by the guests and by you know obviously uh, local papers and magazines and things like that that kind of continue that are out of your control. But I feel like the stuff that's in our control, we have definitely can control the fear factor a little bit more. And the things that aren't right so that's a whole other element that home cooks don't have to worry about is the press and their reviews although i will say someone said to me before i went on there she said you know my biggest fear is having a dinner party and all of my friends saying this is so good this is so good and having this deep-seated fear that it's not in fact really good and i hear that a lot from people yeah or or you know the also maybe doing a dinner party and all your guests raving about it and then that puts on the pressure and hence more fear for the next time that you have the dinner party it's like you got to live up to your expectations that your guests have for you now so there's that as well that's kind of that's a little bit more relative to kind of the restaurant business where you can go tied into the home cooking is kind of that uh the pressure of reproducing not just the same quality but a better quality to keep you know to keep people interested as time goes on Right. I, exa- I mean, I, it's so true. I, when my, I have a toddler and the first Halloween costume I put him in, technically it was his second. He was just like a lump on the first Halloween. On the second Halloween, I made him a costume and he was fatty tuna sushi. And it set the bar. It was adorable, but it set the bar so high that now everyone's like, what is your kid going to be for Halloween? I'm like, I bought a skeleton outfit at the Goodwill. <laughs> I just can't, I can't live up to it anymore. So, Philip, you are also a cook, right? And you contributed recipes to the cookbook as well. Am I right on that? Yes, I did. Yeah, we, got, we have a recipe in the, in the gardening gun book. Okay, so let me ask you, uh, Philip, do you have a disaster that you've survived? Doesn't everybody have a disaster? Aren't our lives just a string of disasters? Uh, you know, the <laughs> older I get. to survive and go on living and managing to set the fear aside and getting up every morning and just kind of doing it all over again. <clears throat> yep. The older I get, the more I realize that, oh, my God, no, it's just really hard. <laughs> it's just one small disaster <laughs> right. or one big if disaster. If you think about this too much, you'll just never leave the house again, which <laughs> wouldn't which would be a whole other set of problems. Okay, so before we, before we like panic our listeners into antisocial behavior, I'm going to ask my right. engineer, Jack, if he will play the voicemail that I got from listener Jackie. That's a very concrete thing that I think we can give her some advice on. Um, 
the bef- I'm, I'm getting a standby one moment from from the booth here. So before I do that, um, I will say that my stu- I teach at the college level and my students are often asking me if they should quit the food studies programs that they are enrolled in and become professional chefs. And I think there's some fear in that question that they're asking me like because they're young and they're still trying to figure out what they want to do with their lives and i'm wondering chef justin can you give advice to someone who is 19 20 years old and deciding whether or not they should go to culinary school um yeah i mean i would my first i guess my first word of advice would be make sure that you really want to do it and that you absolutely love you know going in and dealing with all this stuff that we're talking about because you know, I'd hate for someone to go to culinary school and then come out with student debt and figure out that their student loan debt and figure out that it's not the job they want to do. Um, but I think it's a great idea. I mean, I would, I would just emphasize so hard to make sure that it's you know you're willing to go through the years and years of uh, kind of working your way up and and cutting your teeth and dealing with all these pressures and fears and, and heat and knives and fire and everything that goes along with it because it doesn't go away. Right. I tell them, like, is there anything else in the world you could imagine yourself doing? And if they say yes, then I say, maybe pursue that first. And if you still come back to cooking, then take on the debt. Because, and I share openly that I, uh, that's what I did. I took on a massive amount of student loan debt. And I love it. Like, I wouldn't do it any other way. But Money is a big source of fear. I mean, even in cooking at home, you know, people fear that their dish is going to come out dried out or overcooked or undercooked, and they have wasted this money then. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so we're going to go ahead and play listener Jackie's question for us. Hi, Emily. This is Jackie calling from Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, I'm a huge fan of Garden and Gun, and I'm really excited that you have them on the show. So my fear is somehow injuring myself in the kitchen, whether cutting myself accidentally with a knife or, you know, bad things could happen with hot oil. And so my question is, I'm wondering if the folks from Garden Gun have any interesting stories of some kitchen injury mishaps they'd be willing to share. Thanks. Bye. Okay, Philip, I'm going to throw that to you. Do you have an injury story or maybe a way that you could, in, like, how do you teach people to be safe in the kitchen? We, it's a little counterintuitive, but one of, the, one of the biggest fears people seem to have is that they're going to cut themselves with a knife. And one of the ways that they can almost certainly ensure that they will cut themselves with a knife is if they have a bad knife or a knife that isn't well-maintained or sharp. You know, you're trying to cut something and the knife just slides off because it isn't actually sharp enough to cut through it. So, as odd as it might seem, what I would recommend that um, Jackie do is invest in a quality knife and practice learning to use it. You know, just just set yourself up like they do on some sort of television show with a bunch of onions and a cutting board and a knife. Watch the, any kind of internet video you can find that shows you how to properly hold the knife and how to properly hold the onion with your, your fingers curled back so you're not going to lose one. And then just practice because ultimately the, the, thing that you, the fear that you're trying to overcome is something that you aren't familiar with. So if you make yourself more familiar with the, the thing that's frightening you, it loses that power and you become, you become more confident. Um, 
something with the with the hot oil, um, we have a slight departure in our cookbook with some of our frying techniques. If you're familiar with Garden and Gun or if you're familiar with Southern cooking, you know we love a cast iron skillet, and justifiably so. Um, but when we were doing a lot, when I was testing a lot of these recipes, I was living in a rental unit with one of those ceramic electric cooktops. You know, they're kind of slippery and the, the pan slides around. So a lot of our frying recipes call for a Dutch oven. Also cast iron, by the way, but something a little bit safer so the oil isn't likely to go sort of sliding across the entire surface of the cooktop as you're trying to turn the chicken. Um, so those would be my two pieces of advice. Yeah, I think the, the Dutch oven has taller walls, right, than the, right. the cast iron. So the the potential for overflow is less. And also, I think with the knife issue, the more jittery you are, the more like, likely you are to harm yourself. And so I think like just grabbing that knife and being the boss of that tool, like that's, you know, <laughs> that's a huge part of it, too. Like if you're scared of the thing that you're holding, like you have to work through that and do it, like you said, with onions uh, and a video at hand so that you're kind of working your way through it. Don't start you know, when your friends are coming over for that dinner party we were talking about in an hour and you, the pressure is on to make these perfectly sliced onions. Right. That's the thing I always tell people about cooking. When you, when you work in the, the field, um, you, you meet people and they say, I could never do that. I, I, I don't know how to cook. And if you think about fundamentally for a home cook, cooking is following a set of instructions. You know, I mean, that's what a recipe really is. It is a set of instructions. Do this, that, and the other thing, and you will achieve a result. And so if you can, if you can follow directions, you can cook. And most people, most people can follow directions pretty well once they put their mind to it. I have made a note to myself uh, to br come back around to talking about the importance of recipe testing, which is something that you just mentioned. But I want to get this one last listener fear in before we take a break. And I'm going to throw this to you, Chef, because I'm curious to know what your favorite uh, method for testing doneness is. This listener said, emailed me and asked that I withhold her name. But she said, oh, salmonella or the flip side of that, which is overcooking things because I'm being paranoid. Am I paranoid of being paranoid? So how do you know that that fried chicken is done? And in the restaurant, it's like one guest sends back an undercooked piece of chicken and it can just throw the whole night off. Um, we, you know, we have a, a few different techniques that we use. Obviously, sometimes if you're going to do something like, uh, if you're going to, let's say, you're going to braise some chicken thighs or, or braise a large piece of meat, the cooking time itself will take care of any of those fears, so you got to just kind of work on getting the the braise to achieve its final tenderness. So that you don't really have to worry about those undercooked meats so much when you do those things. And then when you are doing meats, like let's say you're doing a a nice piece of uh, fried chicken or something like that that's cooking kind of quick, and but you just want it to get just past being uh, cooked. My favorite method is uh, either Instaread thermometer, and there's a million good ones out there now. Um, especially some of the newer digital ones that are super instant read. And then I'm also old school where I like to use a cake tester, just a little, uh, basically a little metal rod that you just slip in there up next to the bone, pull it out, kind of look and see what color the juices are that are running out. And then also you could touch it on your wrist or you could touch it just barely, you know, on, on the back of your hand and see what the internal temperature is like that. But for, for a more, for a, 
less trained uh, touch, I would go with the digital read thermometer. Yeah, I, in culinary school, God, I blocked that out. In culinary school, we learned by using the metal cake tester and then putting it underneath our bottom lip on our, like, that was how you knew it was hot. And yeah. I was so traumatized by that. Like that little, it's a little, like, you have that little sensitive spot on your bottom lip where you can feel any any amount of heat. Right, right. And, um... But you're right, though. Choosing the right technique, if you're, if this is something that you're concerned about, braising things is the way to go. And then absolutely instant read thermometer. Um, okay, we're going to take a quick break here, and then when we come back, we're going to talk all about the southerner, the southerner, the southerns, the southerns, cook- southerners cookbook, the southerners cookbook. I typed it yeah. out wrong. The southerners cookbook. Okay, for this northerner, stand by for the break. It's apple picking season. Join EscapeMaker.com and the New York Apple Association at the Union Square Green Market, Friday, September 18th and Friday, October 16th, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. for the 2015 Apple Palooza Games. Go to the EscapeMaker.com pop-up booth for all your regional agritourism information and a chance to play apple-themed games like Giant Apple Themed Twister. You could win a bag of delicious apple cider donuts and fresh apple juice. Everyone will receive helpful information on where to go for pick your own apples this harvest season and a fresh apple grown in New York State. There's no better time to explore outside the city. Soak up the fresh air and scenery like a butterfly and support your local orchard. Log on to escapemaker.com to get inspired and make your escape through the net. Actually, a premiere. Odetta Hartman, Bato Nebo, on Sharp and Hot. Welcome back to Sharp and Hot, everyone. I am your host, Chef Emily Peterson, joining you live from Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Joining me on the line, I have two friends from Garden and Gun magazine one of my very very favorite publications let's see so 
Jack Inslee, who is the engineer of the show and a good friend of mine, came in during the break and said, I'm so excited that you're having this episode. I have so many fears in the kitchen. And he specifically mentioned the fear of like the in the, like how reading comprehension breaks down when the recipes are so specific. So on the line with me, I have managing editor Philip Rhodes uh, from Gardening Gun Magazine and New Orleans chef Justin DeVilliers. And Chef Philip, I want to start with you because you mentioned recipe testing. And as an editor and putting together this cookbook, how important is it to make sure that these recipes work for the person who's going to use them in their home kitchen? It's absolutely fundamental and the very purpose <laughs> of what you are doing. Um, that's, that's your number one goal. And so last night, Jack was making a recipe and missed a step because he doesn't give himself any leeway for things to be adjusted. So if it calls for a quarter of a teaspoon, he'll spend time like digging through the drawer, looking for that quarter of a teaspoon measure, and then forget that something is overcooking or boiling over on the stove. So how do we, how do we as recipe writers make it easy for people? And I, you know, I struggle with this too, and I'm wondering if you've got any insight. Well, this is something that um, I imagine lots of chefs learn in school is the, you set everything out. You know, you've got every tool that you are going to need. You sit down, you read the recipe, you decide what you're going to do, and you get your liquid measures and your dry measures and your ingredients, and you have everything right out in front of you that you're going to need for the recipe. So it's right there. You don't have to stop at a crucial moment and go pawing through a drawer trying to find your, you know, your probe thermometer to make sure the chicken's done. You've already set it out, so you're ready from the get-go to do what you want to do. And I'll tell you, I'm flipping through the pages of the book in front of me, and I flipped right to fried chicken classic and fried chicken extra crispy. And the way that you have these steps laid out, it's all very obvious. Like for the dredge, for the brine, it's all categorized. And I think that that's really, really helpful. And Chef Justin, let me ask you, as someone who is contributing to this cookbook, how important is it to you to incorporate your sort of voice and style in the writing of the recipes or not at all? Are you like just, it's more about the finished dish? Um, I think, you know, if it's a, if it's a personal recipe that I'm writing on my behalf, I'll include something like some notes into it, maybe talking about the recipe. But, um, at the end of the day, I mean, if, especially, you know, the, if Garden and Gun's writing a book and they're kind of telling the story about all these Southern recipes, the recipe I'm going to provide is going to be one that's you know, as straight to the point and as um, comprehensive as possible without, I don't need to have any of that other stuff in there. You know, if it was, if it was something where I was telling a story, maybe so, but in this case, not so much as their story. And what's the recipe that you contributed? Um, I have a recipe in there for oysters bienville, which is kind of a, it's a very classic New Orleans roasted oyster dish, but the recipe that uh, I provided is definitely a adaptation, kind of an inspiration from that recipe. So a lot of those classic flavors, um, but with some unique little ingredient. Like I know there's uh, like Angostura bitters in that recipe. So there's some, just some different little, different little twists into that recipe. And how many recipes did you like? What what was your process of selecting that one? Did you know immediately, or were you like, ah, oh, I could go this, I could do this? 
that was a recipe that um, I've done with Garden and Gun in the past. So I think that Garden and Gun felt like that was a good one to put into their collection. And so, Philip, in putting together this cookbook, how did you decide what it was like? What was your vision from the beginning? Like, how did you go from we want to make a cookbook? What's it going to look like? How did you organize yourselves? Well, there. If you're familiar with Garden and Gun, you know that we 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 hit the high and we hit the low. The magazine is so very much about that crucial mix, and that's what we wanted to achieve with this book. So we wanted the the classics that you would expect to see, you know, the true Southern classics, like like fried chicken. And then we have been so fortunate over the years to have worked with folks like Justin who have contributed recipes that are also classics but have that extra little twist. So there are there is a recipe for oysters Bienville. Then there are also the recipes that we went out and sourced exclusively for the book. So um, something like, uh, and Justin, you may have to help me here with the pronunciation, I believe it's Yakamine, which is this sort of New Orleans hangover helper, beef stew, spaghetti, ramen kind of thing. I, just, I, I was just I was just looking at that pronunciation the other day, actually, coincidentally, and that's one of the pronunciations. There's so many of them. So yeah, yakamain, yakamine, yakamine. <laughs> and describe so, it again. It's beef stew with ramen noodles. It's kind of like a cross between. It's like a very beefy ramen, but made with spaghetti noodles and a boiled egg and some hot sauce and some Cajun seasoning. It's definitely something that I think readers will be very happily surprised to discover and to discover as a southern classic something that they that is a classic in a one city in the south that other people may not know about but hopefully are really excited and eager to learn and it's also really easy it's basically just a giant cut of beef water cajun seasoning ketchup spaghetti noodles green onions boiled egg more hot sauce. <laughs> it sounds really, like I something mean, that, you that, could that, put that in the... That in, in a nutshell is the recipe. It we sounds go like... We a little bit more detail about how long you cook the beef and all that sort of thing in the book. But in, fundamentally, that's the recipe. That sounds... It sounds awesome. And like something you could put in the slow cooker before a night of drinking so that you can wake up in the morning and it's ready to go. So all you have to I'll do is that, like... I'll leave that particular test to you. You will not <laughs> test it that way, but please do and let me know how it turns out. I'll let you know. Um, so I am going to share the Oysters Bienville recipe on heritageradionetwork.org with our listeners. And I think I'm going to see if I can get clearance to share this beef stew yakumin also, if that's okay with you guys. And then this way, listeners will have a little taste of the Southerners cookbook. Um, Is it available now or are you guys in like a pre-release? We are in pre-release. It will be available anywhere fine books are sold on October the 22nd. 27th. 27th. Sorry. 27th. Ah. And yeah, 27th. Um, so more information about uh, Garden and Gun magazine is uh, gardenandgun.com, correct? And Chef Justin, how do people find out more about you? Uh, www.belisenola.com or www.lapetitegrocery.com. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for coming on. I, uh, I am a hu- If it's not clear, I want you both to know I am a huge fan of Garden and Gun Magazine and of New Orleans, and I consider myself... I, I can't say that I'm an honorary Southerner, but my father's cookbook that he cooked from cover to cover that I ate out of ev- pretty much every week as a kid was Paul Perdome's Louisiana Kitchen. And so that was sort of where I learned a love of food and flavor. So I, I'm not honorary, but I really appreciate what you guys are doing down there. <laughs> 
Thank you. Thanks so much for having us, and congratulations on your 100th show. Oh, thank you so much, and you guys are welcome anytime. I can't wait to have you back. All right. Bye-bye. Have a good one. All right, you guys. See you later. Okay, listeners, I, I'm, first of all, I'm starving. I shouldn't have done this show on an empty stomach because now I'm super excited, and I'm flipping through the pages of this cookbook. The photography is absolutely beautiful. There's a whole section on keeping chickens. So October 27th, the Southerners Cookbook from the editors of Gardening Gun Magazine. In the meantime, I want to remind you that I have a whole stack of cookbooks that I am ready, willing, and able to mail out to you guys guys all you've got to do is post a picture on instagram of whatever you're cooking it can be the garden and gun recipe that we're going to post after the show it can be your scrambled eggs it can be whatever use the hashtag sharp and hot and then i'll see it because i look on instagram and i look for that hashtag and then i will email you and say hey this is awesome send me your mailing address and i will go to the post office and put a book in the mail with some heritage radio network swag for you um we've got lots of listeners and this is so cool for me because i've learned that we have listeners all over the country i've sent a book to dallas i've sent a book to california i've sent a book to the upper east side it's really really fun and i feel like it brings us together and my bookshelf is overflowing and as i mentioned on last week's show i'm doing the conmary method of organization and getting rid of all of this stuff so i need your help come take some books from me instagram hashtag sharp and hot and if you're in the new york city area Oktoberfest at the brooklyn brewery on wednesday october 7th i am the chef tickets are available at ediblemanhattan.com i'm also going to be the chef at fried and fizzy which is at astor center on wednesday october 14th it's all sparkling wine i'm making a a whole selection of fried food. It's going to be really, really fun. Tickets for that are on astrocenternyc.com. Make sure you come up and say hi and that you're a listener to the show. And until next week, everybody, thank you so much for my first 100 episodes. I really, truly appreciate that you are all out there. The break music was provided by Odetta Hartman. My engineer is Jack Inslee. My theme show song, my theme song to my show is provided by Nice Peter, my dear friend. The sponsor of today's episode was escapemaker.com. If you liked what you heard, make sure you tell your friends to subscribe to the show on iTunes and get in touch with us at heritageradionetwork.org. Stay tuned for a short clip from Cooking Issues. And until next week, everybody, keep playing with fire and knives. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. If you research old recipes on pancakes and waffles, you'll find that the major difference between them, in fact, in some ways, the only difference you need to pay attention to between them is that a waffle recipe is going to contain a significant amount of oil or oil-like thing like butter, okay? Host of Cooking Issues, Dave Arnold, on the true difference between the beloved breakfast sweets. And the reason is the sticking 
into the sides of the of the waffle iron. So if you try to do a lower fat version of a waffle, you'll find that it just sticks like a, like nobody's business. Modern day waffle irons have a Teflon coating on the inside of them and are much better at releasing, and so don't require as much fat in them as the old school recipes. And so you'll see a lot of more modern recipes really tone the fat level down because the fat level can be quite high. We're talking well over half of a cup in like a four and a half cup flour recipe. I find, though, that I like it better with that high amount of uh, fat in it. Long story short, I use the same recipe because I'd rather have the more fat in my pancake recipe than the less fat in the waffle. It makes it easier to remember. So I use the same batter for both pancakes and for waffles. This was an excerpt from episode 101 of Cooking Issues. Want more of your cooking questions answered? You can find all Cooking Issues episodes and much more available anytime on heritageradionetwork.org and on iTunes. Heritage Radio Network is a member-supported nonprofit organization broadcasting over 30 live shows a week. To learn more and donate, visit our website or connect with us on iTunes, Stitcher, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram for more. Thanks for listening.